Welcome to the Spectrum of Health podcast. My name's Javen. I'm an international online health and fitness coach. And if you want to increase your confidence, improve your self-development and have a bulletproof mindset, this is the podcast for you. Please don't forget to like, share and subscribe depending on whatever podcast app you are using. Today's episode is going to be amazing. I can't wait to get into it. Let's go. Welcome to the Spectrum of Health podcast. My name's Jav, and today, guys, we've got a very, very special guest, financial advisor, former professional footballer, someone that everyone used to talk about in the change rooms before we used to play West Ham Academy, Kieran Bywater, man. Boom. Thank you, man. Thank you for joining me. I uh, appreciate it. Yeah, so there's a, I really wanted to, to get you on, mainly because of what you're doing now, but also just obviously, uh, even though we didn't really know each other too well, played against you as a kid, got a lot of mutual friends. And obviously I came across you, came across your, your Instagram page and what you're doing now. And I just thought like you'd be the perfect person to have a conversation with. So I appreciate you jumping on, man. I appreciate your time. No worries, mate. Yeah, I appreciate you coming on. It's, uh, thanks for giving me the invite, mate. Thank you, man. Thank you. So yeah, man. So really what I want to try and do is kind of just get into a bit of a conversation about how you got into football, um, your background, how you started and then obviously really dive into what you're doing now with the the financial advising and the wealth management and kind of just go from there, really. So I guess really my, my first real question is kind of like, what got you into football, man? How did that how did that journey start? Oh, God, taking it back a few years now, mate. No, to be fair, it was just through, through family. I think it was more my uncle. So I was born up in Manchester originally. My mum's brother was sort of obsessed with football, if you like, and just went to Old Trafford as a kid, that sort of stuff. and we ended up moving down south and I just was obsessed with it, mate, to be fair, like anyone, just watching it on telly, yeah. um, just playing football with my friends and just non-stop. And yeah, that's how I sort of got into it. And then just like anybody joining your local team and then um, just things progressing from there, really. Cool. So at, at what age did you uh, get into West Ham? Probably, yeah, it must have been five or six. Like I started playing for a local team then. And then uh, I went from there and then I went on to play like Centre of Excellence at Cambridge that they used to have at the time. I was probably about eight or nine at that point and just was there for a couple of years before, you know, bigger clubs, bigger academies start sort of sniffing around, if you like, at, at the age of 10 I was at the time. So you that West Ham from 10 years old, yeah? Yeah, from 10, yeah. Okay. So I was there for about a decade, just over a decade. Yeah, so I was yeah. At, West Ham for a, for a long time to be yeah. fair went all the way through the academy just in there yeah. made that final step into to the first team which we all, we all know is the, the toughest bit that's the hardest part yeah so kind of talk to me a little bit about that process of you know you played locally then you went to centre of um, centre of excellence and then you went to West Ham like the transition from the centre of excellence to West Ham like I guess obviously you get you got scouted right so what was, yeah. what was that like? Like knowing that you had a couple of clubs after you, like what was that process like? Did they approach your mum, your dad? Like how did that go? Mm. It was a bit of a strange one at the time. I mean, I was only so young, you know, it's like taking it back a while. And uh, Cambridge got relegated from League Two to the conference. So their centre of excellence was getting closed. Okay. And we, had a re- we had a really good side. So it was the age group above mine. About five of us ended up going pro at like, Champ or Prem clubs, so it was quite a lot of us at the time. Which for a place like Cambridge is quite quite a lot of lot of people. So anyway, they shut it down, and invited scouts to come and watch, and we played like a few teams like Arsenal, a few other clubs, and 
of one game, which is unusual for a, a small side like that. So anyway, they invited scouts to come. And I, from that point, I just went on trial at pretty much everywhere. You can name them, London clubs, Midlands clubs because of where I live. So like Leicester, Villas, that sort of thing, Norwich, West Ham, Arsenal. And just sort of had, had the pick at that age. From that point, I just fell at home at West Ham at the time. Yeah. Okay. And then at that time, how, how was you in school? Was you was you good in school, like academically? Yeah, so I, I never struggled at school. You know, it wasn't wasn't my interest. I mean, at that age, you're just sort of having fun, aren't you? With yeah. everything in your life. But um, I was I never struggled at school. It was something that sort of came quite naturally to me. You know, whether that's just myself, my family, whatever you want to call it. It was just uh, it never seemed to be a thing where you know I had to catch up that much because I'd pass without really putting too much effort. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I feel like I was the same as well. I never really. I never really tried, but I never really, need, I felt like I never really needed to try. So yeah. Yeah. I, I we guess we're the lucky ones. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I can relate to you on that one. Trust me. And then like, so obviously you've gone to West Ham at 10. So at those ages though, did you always know that you wanted to be a footballer? Like, was that like the sole thing on your mind mm. as a kid? Yeah, it was, but you don't really think at that age, you just want to enjoy it. You know, like, yeah. enjoying it, like you're playing at a club. And it was obviously quite a big thing for me because I grew up in quite a rural area, like just outside Cambridge. And you, you go into, you know, you go into London, team in London, the boys from South London, there's, you know, big personalities, yeah. and different types of players that I wasn't used to, do you know what I mean? But like I fitted in like, straight away, obviously with all the boys, just because of my, my personality at the time. And then just, yeah, just went to where I was enjoy- enjoyed it the most, the atmosphere and that sort of thing. So that's why I went there and, then I guess, you know, you know what it's like going through an academy. When you're at a palace, it was, uh, you just start getting to the point of, right, okay, especially in those age groups, you get to about 13, you can start seeing the the best three or four players in an age group and, and they're the ones that sort of everyone sort of prioritises, if you like, at the academies. And, you know, I was sort of one of those within mine. Yeah, yeah. So I guess, so would you say that around the 13, 14 ages when you, started to think okay like this could be my life this could be like my career it's what I could do for for a living yeah I'd probably say so I think it was around 13 14 when I was getting good indications from the club that they were gonna sign me on after I left school you know this is sort of year nine year ten I was only 13 14 and there was already in talks about getting you sorted out for that because I was sort of flying at that point as as a teenager which you know, as you probably remember, I was I was pretty decent back in the day. Yeah, no, but, um, yeah. Listen, every game, anytime I was playing you lot, they always talk about you in the change room, like, and you know, every team yeah. does it. Like, you play against Chelsea, they'll be talking about Ruben or something. Like, we'll play no, against yeah, you. There's always Ruben. Yeah, we'll talk about we'll talk about you and maybe Moses, and obviously because I knew Moses personally, like yeah. we'd always be messaging each other, like, and yeah, we'll always be talking about you. To be fair, so mm. at that time, then, so obviously, I'm guessing you got offered your scholarship. And you got, offered, uh, you got offered your scholarship early? Yeah, no, yeah. I must have got that. Probably. I was about 15. I had a bit of, not sort of growing pains, but like tendonitis and that sort yeah. of stuff in my knee. So yeah. I was, they wanted me to just be okay for and focus on schooling a bit, my parents at the time. So yeah. what was that, 15 probably? Yeah, then with a professional contract attached to it as well. Yeah. So I was a scholar with a pro, which took me to like age of 20. So it was quite a, quite a long-term one, which was... Good, great news at the time. Do you know what I mean? You're obviously where a lot of lads are just getting scholars, etc. It was it was quite a big thing, you know, at, at that age. Um, that bit of security and that sort of belief in you makes you think, yeah, actually, crap, you've got a chance of 
playing in, you know. So that was that's where we were at with stuff. And um, and my parents sort of rammed down me to get my my GCSEs and stuff. That's that's exactly what I was about to ask you. Did it affect your school? Yeah, it did a little bit. Like the fact because I lived quite a distance away, so I was you know missed half the week of schooling to be down at West Ham training with the youth team at the time, and it was just. yeah, it was affecting me because I was, you know, predicting quite quite high grades at school. So I think it was looking back, I wasn't that bothered about it. But if it wasn't for like my mum and stuff like that raining me in a little bit, I won't. I probably would have just sacked it off. But they managed to help me out, and I just passed them all and just sort of cracked on with football from from there full time at sixteen, like like most lads. Yeah, yeah. So kind of talk to me then about that transition and like going in full time, like. So I'll kind of tell you personally, I remember because I got offered my scholar at 14 and yeah. um, I never sat to school. I just did what I needed to do to pass because I knew I was going to do all right. So I never really needed, yeah. I didn't try too hard. And I was doing the day release two times a week and whatever. Yeah. But I remember in my first year, it was so weird. In my first year, I was so excited and I was just buzzing for everything. And in my second year, I was grumpy and I hated it. Yeah. So like yeah. in terms of, like doing your scholar like, and going in full time how was that transition how did you find it what was the nerves like everything for me I was just obsessed mate I was you know you could probably speak to some of the boys that you know I was at West Ham you know I was driven I was like just obsessed with football my diet everything you know what I mean was focused on playing well you know I'd be quite aggressive at times with other players on opposition on my team because I wanted to do well and that transition for me was quite quick because my first year I went straight into the reserve side pretty much with the 21s and played more games than I expected to for them. You know, I probably played like 20-odd games or whatever and then played with the youth team as well. But I found it different, but it was also at the same time, it was just like, I've got to prove myself now. I've got to do it. This is it, like, as some people do. But I did, but that's it. It went quick, though, like you say. I think maybe because I was so focused on it, just this is going to be me now, this is it, that it flew by. Looking back at it, not that I have any regrets on it, but I think it was just, I, I just jumped straight in, mate, to be fair. I didn't really struggle with it. I was fully focused on it then when I when I moved down to the digs at the time and just sort of cracked on with it from that point, to be fair. And, and how was that? Obviously, you moved away from home. I never really had that experience because I live literally five minutes from the training ground at Palace. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah, so yeah. How, how was that kind of process of like living away from home as well? It's tough. It's, uh, I think it was what I was there for. I was just so focused, man. I didn't even think about it. You know, like obviously I'd been away for half the week and stuff like that. But, you know, I think maybe you get caught in the bubble a little bit more when you're there full time and you're living down there and you're with other players all the time and where you could go home. And, you know, you're, you're speaking to your family about different things. You didn't really have that. And I think well, I had a conversation with my parents about this probably not too long ago, just talking about different things. And that came up. It was like, we could see you sort of getting into that bubble, etc. Even though you subconsciously don't see it. But it's maybe because you can just offload at times, maybe, mm. of what you're thinking and feeling and stuff. You're just such a young person still when you look back at it. You're 17, 18. But you, you didn't have that sort of person to speak to. Um, yeah. you know, I see they're trying to do it at clubs now, but when you are pissed off at stuff, you know, it was more, okay, I'll speak to the coach, I'll, I'll knock on the door because that's what they say. But Whereas other people would probably just go and speak to family members, etc. I'd obviously speak on the phone, but being there with them, they could, you know, it's probably a bit better. So that's probably one of, one of the difficulties, I guess. Yeah. And then like, so you mentioned 
in your first year, you was already with the the 21s and that. So like performance wise and how you felt you was doing, obviously your first year, it sounds like things were going well. How about your second yeah. year? Same, same well, kind of thing? Second year as a youth team, different actually. So it was quite a bit of a blockage at West Ham at the time, like with the reserve lads were, a lot of them come back off loan, they were older and they were flying in the reserve league. Then that sort of pushed all the younger lads back into the 18th and then played in the 18th. I was, I was very frustrated in my second year. I know I remember from playing, I scored about 20 goals that season from midfield. I think Moussa Dembele was the only one that scored more than me at Fulham. But I was frustrated because I wasn't playing in the reserves because lads weren't playing with the first team, getting opportunities with the first team and weren't going out on loan. It was like lads that were older than me, like El Lees, Potsies, George Moncao, all those sort of age groups. And they were stuck. So there's sort of a bit of a blockage at West Ham. You could sense it as well through the club. So there was a lot of frustration for me at that point. Even though I was playing well, I felt like I should have been kicking on at that point, which I didn't. So yeah, there was, there was quite a lot of frustration in that year, to be fair. Mm. So, and, and even though you're scoring goals, and I'm guessing also you're talking to the coaches in that, and, and mm. were they kind of communicating why you weren't, with the 21s anymore? Yeah, purely because of that sort of that blockage that lads to come back off low and they needed to play. Where are they going to play? They're in that age group. I did play. You know, I'm on, I did play you know, quite frequently. I was always in the squads and that, but I wasn't playing. I felt like I should have just been playing every single game. So it seems a lot different to how the academies are set up now. You, you can probably see it. in five years it's changed a lot. But I felt like at the time, yeah, it was knock on the door. And when I look back at it as well, because I'm quite sort of confidence driven sort of person as well when I look back I felt like some of the coaches didn't deal with me very well you know they'll say you they'll invite you to knock on your door and I'd be one of those who go and knock on your door okay well this is and I'd do all my research I'd have watched my games I'd have watched my training I'd have looked at all the stats because I was that sort of person when I was that age and gone to them this is it I, why am I not playing give me and I almost they almost felt I look back and some of them felt a little bit threatened from that maybe or the authority which is understandable but I was just like that and I didn't really care about the other people that were ahead, what their reasons for being in the reserves. I just thought, why am I not? You know, that was my purely thinking at the time, which is everyone was after themselves, you know, and I think that's what, what I was like, you know. Yeah, that makes sense. And yeah, I know what you mean because sometimes even though they tell they tell you to come and talk to them, they don't they don't really mean it though. They don't want to <laughs> They 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 yeah, say they want to talk. Yeah, yeah they don't yeah. really mean it though because they don't want to have those difficult conversations. Yeah. And especially if you're someone that's going to go in there saying, you know, these are the stats. These are what I'm. This is what I'm doing, and this is what this guy's doing. I should probably be playing ahead of him, really. But yeah, don't. and it was never like yeah, I was never the person to like dig other people. Yeah, out. I never yeah. Said, was like that or say, oh, why is he playing? He's another. It was never like that. It was just about me. Do you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Your coach was developing me. It was purely that, and I was never. I never, obviously there was competition, there is in your age group stuff, but I never saw it as that. I never once saw it as like, oh, I want to do that against him because he's there. It was just purely for me. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And and obviously, especially, you know, in under 16s, under 17s, under 18s, like you, you was probably quite a high profile player or someone that had, they had big hopes for. Was you ever yeah. promised anything? Like, because you know, some players, I can even think back at Palace, like some of the bigger names, they were almost promised from certain coaches that yeah you're, you're going to be with the first team or they were given some sort of assurances yeah, verbally I think that's, yeah I think that I had a lot of that okay. a lot of that at West, uh, West Ham to be fair England are watching yeah this that 
all of this stuff. You'll be in the next squad. We'll look at renewing your contract. And I had contracts offered pretty much in my, in my last year before I left when I was like 19, 20. And then that was, there was obviously the big story about what happened with all that sort of thing. Um, back my home in paradise. But then it was just, like you said, it was just hot air, hot air, mate. And yeah. Difficult to sort of see it at the time, but it was almost to try and just keep sort of without looking other options or maybe, you know, speaking to other people, especially because I had a couple of years where I was really sort of pushing on, as you've said, and, you know, you're aware of other lads on the circuit and stuff like that. It was just one of those where, yeah, probably because I was doing well to say certain things but yeah. nothing materialised with the England squad stuff like that no, I knew they were watching it a couple of times around that sort of age but yeah, when you see it really, it's no, no conversations from them no fruit calls so it's just why are they telling you that you know it's strange looking back at it but it's what it is there's, there's people talk a lot of um, <laughs> nonsense in football mate to be fair as you, as you come to come across you know so you had you did a one year scholar then what was it two year pro yeah, it would have been, yeah. That's it. Two years. So then in your last year, kind of talk to me a little bit about like how that kind of played out and the kind of transition of not controlling. <laughs> yeah, my last year was very strange one, mate. Um, so I went into the reserves. I was doing, and I was in pre-season. I remember the then academy director called me in after a pre-season game at Cambridge. I think we played like Espanyol or someone random like that. I don't know, it was like some little trio tournament and they said, pulled me in. And pulled my dad after, like, said, you need to renew his contract. How have you already going into your last year now? Why has it not been renewed? Well, like, well, we've not had the conversation about it. I like, left a certain agent at the time looking at renewing it, and I was like buzzing, you know, pulled in pre season, like one extended deal. Captain, we wanted to be captain in the 21s now. This was a new person that came in. I was thinking, this is, this is looking great. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Like, after the frustrations of the previous season, even though I'd done well, he'd looked into that, and I was thinking, yeah, this is. Great, and then played every game. Then there was obviously what what went on really, and then by the end of it, like got the contract offered, saying that we want to sign this. And then a few months later, after loads of lads have been let go that were older than me, I got pulled into the office and you know, told that I wasn't in the manager's plans now, which was you know, I was never going to be at that point either. Do you know what I mean? It was more loans, what's next, extending your deal, development phase. And yeah, just didn't didn't get it, mate, which was a shock to me, to be fair, because what I've been told and how I was playing, other lads that were on a, a contract, to, you know, other lads in my age group or that had been given an extended deal of that season, and I was ahead of them, in my opinion, in a lot of people's opinions. And yeah, it was a, it was a strange exit, mate, to be fair. And like, so apart from obviously you not being in the manager's plans, did they give you any other reason, like performance, certain aspects no, of your nothing. game? Nothing. So there's lads on the bench or not even the squad that had like another year, another two years. And I was captain starting the side. So, you know, I've, I've spoke about it before. I speak about it now. There was there was a lot of other things, in my opinion, as I've got older, to, to why it was the case. Um, no bitterness towards it now, but at the time it was, nothing made sense, you know. Um if I if I'd been told this is it, this is your game, we don't like that. Great, you can you could deal with that a little bit more, especially I, I can. You know, if someone criticizes me with work now. Fair enough, you'd rather yeah. that than than just being uncertain. You know, and I I deal with all the people I work with in that breath, maybe because I've learned from that. You know, it's just just tell them whether yeah. it's bad news or not. In the long haul, it's going to be better. You know, rather than beating around the bush or there's other things going on. But 
you know, it's all hearsay. Whatever happened, happened. So disappointing and surprising at the time. Though. Yeah. So I guess really talk to me about that transition in from leaving West Ham, not being offered a deal, kind of having to deal with that rejection, especially when, when especially when a big part of your life is thinking that you're going to become this pro- professional footballer and become a star. Yeah, like what was that transition like and what was your kind of next phase? Because I'll, t- I'll tell you a little bit about like when I got let go by Palace, I went on about, I went on about five different trials, right? I went all over, all over the country and I, I was scoring goals on these trials and every manager, they were like, oh, we ain't got a budget. We ain't got a budget. And I, I would always say to myself, like, why the hell would you invite someone to come on trial if you ain't got a budget? Like, yeah, yeah. You, you and I think it's just a, it's an excuse because they want to push their own lads that have been there a long time yeah, as well yeah. they want that certain thing they've got that certain loyalty and you're just another released player that's what I found and like you said there from the previous year where I'd been like knocking on the door I suppose the, the England youth squad scoring goals one of the standout players in our team at West Ham at the time and for sure you know looking back at it and the lads will agree you know it was to then just being a released player I found I couldn't deal with it I struggled massively and like you probably did as well don't mind what you do I got a lot of I just got released I thought I'll get another club because of where I was at you know what I'd been doing so I went to like a lot of the bigger clubs reserves teams I got a lot of offers from and then West Ham were trying to stop me to go on those trials when they heard about it so I went to Villa I didn't go and train at West Ham again so I just was like nah I'm not training again with you. And I'll, that was it. And then I tried to stop me going to Villa, trying to say that I needed like, conversation stuff. I went to Villa, didn't get a contract there. So I went on a few other trials. It was like end of the season at this point. And then I went on holiday to Portugal with some of the boys to Elliot's dad's place out there. And we just, just switched off. Do you know what I mean? I was like, right, okay, see where I'm at. I was still under contract at the time till like July, August or whatever time it was. I get something sorted. Anyway, I get back, phone call from, uh, who was it from? Derek Langley, who was the chief scout at United, Man United, and Warren Joyce as well. Missed call from him. I'm thinking, what are they ringing for? Rang me up and said, coming into United, start pre-season. So I went up to Man United with when Warren Joyce was a reserve manager there. And obviously, at the time, it's just other lads that you know, like Andreas Pereira, all our age group, Ashley Fletcher, a few of those others. Scott McTominay was a young lad there. Lingard was in the resis at the time. They're just lads I've trained and played against uh, before anyway. Went up there to sort of look to ship me out on loan and try and try and do it that way. Um, but then I didn't get a contract there after three, three or four weeks. One Joyce pulled me in, said Van Gaal said no one's in getting signed if they've got no pathway to the first team, which was, you know, take it on the chin. But then they helped me go and trial at a few other places and they did more for me conversation-wise and support-wise after I left there than West Ham did for me after 10, 11 years, which, you know, was sort of, I'm a Man United fan anyway, so it was like even more so after the treatment of that, you know, hear about stuff with players, I know how other lads have been treated around the country, it was it was credit to them at the time, because oh, even their player, you know, that they rung up me like a couple of months later when I was playing in the conference and they were like, how's it going, how's your head, like, what you know That's I didn't even man. have yeah, one yeah. call from my stand and it was just like just because of that sort of respect really so that was where I was at and then I was done with trials so I went and played for my old manager in the conference and 
from that point I played there for a couple of months and hated every minute I was what, five foot nine <laughs> midfielder I was like standing in the middle of a ping pong table mate and crap pitches how am I here like I was constantly in my head I struggled off the pitch and moved home like loads of my mates were still playing and going on like to top level you know and I was thinking how does this happen do you know what I mean overnight you get in that self-pity bit you know it's, it's difficult not to that age you know so I think that was where it was where it was at and then yeah, just struggled, man. I guess that leads us on to the America bit where I just yeah. sort of jumped out there, you know. Yeah, so what made you kind of go out there? Because obviously I went out there as well. Yeah, um, yeah. I was going to say that. Yeah. You had yeah, so, yeah, I had knee surgery and then I didn't. I played non-league for like two months and I was like, nah, I can't, I can't do this. So I just took more time off, recovered. And then one of my old coaches at Palace, because sort of like you, right, I never, once I got released, I never had a word from Palace again. But one of my old coaches, he called me and he was like, oh, you've got good grades. Like, you could do that if you wanted to. And like, it will be full time. You'll enjoy it. And I was just like, at the time, sort of like you were saying, like the self-pity, I didn't know what the hell I wanted to do. So I was just like, you know what? Let, let me just go, man. I ain't got nothing to do. I they literally didn't have anything to do. I wasn't doing anything. So I was yeah, like, what are we doing there? yeah, so I was just like, I'm going to go. Then I just, I just went. That was literally, it. just went. So yeah, how, how did you kind of get into, get into that? I was, wasn't enjoying it, even though I was doing all right when I was playing non-league and Cubs were coming to watch and stuff like that it was my head was gone mate I was struggling with all the stuff off the pitch I had when I was younger I lost a couple of friends and things like that which is you know people didn't didn't know of me too well and I struggled mate there's no bottom line of it mentally this head had gone from that person who I was that you would have played against and no it was just not me anymore and my mate was over in America and he was just like just come out just come out and I was just like nah it's not good enough to play it crack it out but it was just killing me mate and my family saw it as well we wasn't the same person anymore and was doing more damage than good at that point and you know whether it was too soon whether it was this that I, you know you don't know but I just made the jump my mate was playing out there Jake Young who's Luke Young's brother I remember Luke Young he's yeah. back. Um, Jake who's a few years older at West Ham he was out there he was out, he did a scholar and then he was just like mate come out come out we love it and there was one day I was just on the pitch and I just had a, a breakdown, mate. It was just raining. I'd sit done, just went to walked off the pitch and said, I'm done. I'm going to America, just broke down, like, upset and, like, and just went out there. Got sorted a couple of months later. I was on a, well, a month later, I was on a plane going out to America thinking, what how has this happened? I was like, <laughs> Carrington four or five months ago now on, uh, on a plane <laughs> to the States. It was a whirlwind, mate, but um, yeah. I'm, glad I, I'm glad I did it. Helped me massively. Yeah. And where did you go again? Charleston? Is it Charleston? Charleston, that was it, yeah. yeah. So I had to, I was banned my first year, obviously, because of pros. Yeah. And money I'd earned and all that sort of stuff. So it was sad of first year. And then I played and we won it in the first year of the national championship. And then I got, I, we won it and I played really well the whole season because I was just enjoying it, mate. I was just in the sun lifestyle and that. Yeah. And I sat down with my coach like, like two days after we won it and I said, I said, it's back. I said, I need to do more. This ain't enough for me. I said, this isn't, that was a conversation. We had an honest conversation. I said, I need to get, I need to get back playing pro again. I was like, it's not, it's, I'm not satisfied with it. I said, if I don't do it one more time. So he was like, right, okay. So he goes, we've had, people bringing up anyway after the final saying can they speak to you all the division one big schools because they knew they knew about me obviously but 
because of eligibility stuff that I couldn't couldn't go. So I had literally, you name it, all the Ivy League schools and Clemson were the main ones to ring. So I was, I went down and visited all these places. They just flew me out everywhere. And I was like, yeah, this is a bit. I said, I'll do my last, I'll do a year here and then I'll just go in the draft. And that was that was the plan for me pretty much. And they had all said that, you know, we just want, yeah, full, full ride, everything full whack. But, flights everything and then I decided to go to Clemson because there's an English coach there and just love the facility the sunshine mate it was yeah. like Clemson's one of the top the ones box. as well yeah ticked all the boxes for me so I was just like yeah I'll have a bit of this and then anyway went through all the final bit and I was in I'm sorry if I'm carrying on too much with no this, no but, go on um, so I was my ex lived in Toronto at the time so I was seeing a girl that lived in Canada so End of the season, come I said bye to everyone. Like all the transfer stuff's going through to like move across. And said bye to all the lads. Said all the staff there. Like they were happy. Like they just knew that like, I should be doing something more. Do you know what I mean? It was, it was a small time for me, really. Not in a big way, but it was just you've been at West Ham, you've been at these clubs. Just I needed to just crack on again. And went up to Canada. Everything's going through. Oh, we need a few more documents. Doing a Zoom call comes. Oh, it's all done. Just have final approval now. Like phone call from Charleston comes through there's been a complaint made against it I'm like what so this was in January time so what happened the No Hunger in Paradise documentary come on here at BT Sport and I featured on the, about academy football and stuff yeah I remember that yeah and uh, coach of the team we lost to in the final made an official complaint to the NCAA about me playing saying there's no way he's eligible blah 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 if you don't report it yourselves we'll report it so Charleston were obviously oh we're going to lose our national title first. No, not many people know about this we're going to lose our national title we're getting lawyers involved we're going to act on that and bearing in mind I'm, I've left Charleston officially now so no documentation I'm just waiting to go to Clemson anyway made the complaint Charleston pretty much just shut ship didn't speak to me were dealing with it so that they didn't get the national title taken away Clemson couldn't deal with me because I wasn't there yet so I had to get sports lawyer involved so we, we spent thousands of pounds on a sports lawyer oh my god to get me cleared to play so one I could carry on with my business degree that I was doing and secondly to play like you know I was predicted to go in the draft etc that's what they viewed as me going so I'm, and I'm in Canada, so I'm just stuck in Inbar. Like I'm on the phone to my family, on the phone to the lawyer, blah, 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 doing all this. And it went to, it was one of like a few cases that went to the final board of appeal, like five people on the board um, to, to approve me or not. And it voted against three to two. And I got voted against me. So I was banned from playing. They said there was discrepancies and things I'd said. Um, a few bits from stuff I'd written two, three years ago going out there, and they banned me completely so I couldn't carry on with the degree. I wasn't able to play out there and I had to leave because of my visa. Oh so my days. Wow. So in, a, in a flash, yeah, I was, what, 23. I'd gone from being on the verge of getting a, a top degree at a top university and signing pro again to then going nothing, no education, wasted two years and head in the bin pretty much and girlfriend over in Toronto and I was back in Cambridge thinking what do I do next Jesus Christ oh my god <laughs> so that, Wait, that was the, that, that was the situation Jesus yeah whatever you say it is but it was yeah not ideal mate wow so That's that, so that one back, yeah. that one coach 
on, yeah. on the opposing team that you guys beat in the final. He just yeah. he got he caught wind of that. He didn't want me to have a, a future education and career right. in the sport. And he he got caught he got he caught wind of the doc- documentary, and that was it. Wow. And then you, just just threats. He said like a report. I mean, I don't know what it was. And basically, you know, Charlton in the eyes of it, I got banned. So they filled an ineligible player in the final, but they kept their national championship and everything right. got kept. Um, everything carried on as normal but I was the one that was punished so you know did I lose respect for the coaches and stuff there of course I did massively because were you, you able know, to appeal it they said a certain thing no I appealed it so that was the final board of appeal oh okay um, okay so that was down the appeal and that was the final stage but they they say this is one thing I learned from you know they said they're about helping people developing people they're about their own careers the coaches yeah. and they always is don't listen to any of that I've seen it now on this side. They, they don't care about them at all, you know. And I'm not bitter towards them. They looked after themselves, fair play. But don't present another image of yourself, you know. If that's what you're about, be about it as well. Don't just say one thing and act in another way. So, you know, it was disappointing. And you know, I didn't, I didn't want Charleston to get a national title taken away. But you know, if I'm getting punished, why? Yeah, yeah, everyone's got to get punished. Me, you know what I mean? But yeah, I, di- I didn't compare. I just. I had to just accept it and, and I went back to England which was then I went fuck pretty much what's sort of the language yeah but so yeah, what was next from there what was kind of like what was yeah what happened so you come back so, to London now what 23 yeah yeah Cambridge I flew back to London Heathrow whatever I was 23 went back to Cambridge girlfriends over in Canada on uh, what do I do now I had a couple of phone calls with some lower league clubs that were that were interested after that and then after the stuff at West Ham I was like mate this ain't Ain't going in my favour now. And there's only so much you can take, and I was at a breaking point at that point, and I was just like, I remember I was I just have a bit of a breakdown, like family sort of control me about stuff. I tried to leave, get in my car, stuff like that. I've been like drinking, things like that, and it was just that point. My dad just stood up, and just said, you know, my dad was a Royal Marine. He's done a lot. He's had businesses. He's elected councillor down in Cambridge now. And he just said, "This is you're in the you're against the ropes at this point now." He said, "You can either be just accept it, keep taking the punches, or you can come out swinging, pretty much." And you know, it's not worked out. It's not this. It's not that. And I remember someone said, "I had a meet with the guys at the players now who help players or in transition." And he just said to me, "You're in your, you're in yourself pity party now. No one's going to be there. No one's going to be, you know, helping you out for the future. You've you've got to just come out and." show what you are as a person now forget everything else and that was the biggest bit of advice that just I lied in bed that night I just thought you know what they're, they're right you know I'm just feeling sorry for myself seeing my other mates playing football you know in the championship in whatever leagues they are and I just had to break off of it mate and that was when I just said I'm done like completely I don't want to touch a football again and I've not kicked a ball since Wow so you didn't play football for three years two years three years three years, three years now. I've not so- touched the football even in like I've not played a game. I've not done anything. I've not yeah. kicked a football once after that. After that national final, I was school. Wow, Jesus. Okay, so all right then. So then that kind of brings you to to what you're doing now. And obviously, you did half a degree mm. when you was out there. You didn't get to finish it. So what yeah. was like the so? Kind of talk to me about what you do now, and also how you got into it. Because obviously, I know what you do. Yeah. Not everyone yeah, listening will know. So yeah, cool. So what what happened was I came back and I had obviously credits. So. My auntie, she works at like head of recruitment for like universities in the Northwest. She's got a really good role. So I was like, what can I do? Can I continue it in like a year? Because I was like, I'm not 
carrying on with education at this point. I'd not been in there. I was like, well, how can I do it quickly? She remember about she goes, you'll literally have to do like another three years here if you want to do it. And I was like, wasting that time. So what have I got now at this point? I've got GCSE. <laughs> I'm close to being professional football. Well, I was a professional footballer, but um, close to making it. And that's it. That's all you are. What do you do? So anyway, I was like, well, I need a job to keep my sanity. I need to look, whilst I'm looking for what I wanted to do next, I look, do I want to be an agent? Do I want to be coaching? Didn't have a clue. So I went to, what I did was, I went to my dad's friend who runs like an engineering company. And I just walked, rocked up there to the factory, just like, arranged a meeting with him. And, uh, I just chatted to him. He's like, what are you doing? Like, what's going on? I said, mate, I need a job. He's just looked at me and gone, what? You need a job, bro. I got welders and stuff. You know, he's like, he employs very good business, really successful guy. I just laughed. I was like, "What? You're not skilled. You can't do anything. Like, there's nothing I can offer you." And I said, "Just give me anything." I said, "Just anything." I said, "My head. I just need to be out all the day whilst I'm looking at doing my other bits. Can it be flexible? Can you let me go to a few bits of this wealth management stuff in the background was going on? Can you let me go to that whenever I want?" And he was like, "Yeah, fine." So I literally all I did from like eight till five was just like lift metal, clean shit up, accept deliveries into the back of the store at the at this big factory. And I was just, you know, my head was gone, mate. I was working there from like eight in the morning to five in the evening. But then I got the opportunity. I was speaking to people in the evenings and emailing and doing a few bits through my contacts in football. I'll be an agent, be great, be a coach. But I managed to get a conversation into into finance. And obviously I'd looked at business and economics when I was over in the States. And I thought, yeah, I could be a little bit of me and so I had the option of coming to London or Manchester and I came up to Manchester for a meet and had dinner with them and they were like we have a retraining program to become a financial advisor um, we think you'd be great with your contacts you, but we don't take younger people really we like ex-professionals so there's accountants barristers people that have had their own businesses you know, teachers whoever it may be that have worked because you've got to have that experience speak to people you know, understand it, be a bit self-sufficient. And, um, I said, took the brochure and stuff like that and spoke to my uncle who worked in the bank and he just said, if they're going to pay for you to go through that and you've got the opportunity to do it because it's, well, one, you could help players, that could be potentially one. And then secondly, you'll have a great career and build a great business for yourself, which is something I looked at. And so I was, whilst I was doing that, I said, oh, you got to pass the exam before you, have your final interview and business plan so there was like five interviews there was business plan working eight or five studying investments inventions etc till like midnight one in the morning and repeating this was in like november december so it's freezing and then in the evening i'm going from dealing with people to talking down on me there like to then going right i'm doing this in the evening just fully focused girlfriend over in canada no mates around because I left school so young and moved to London. All my mates are playing, good or bad, all my mates are playing football at the time, professionals still. And it was just like, right, this is me against it. And I managed to get onto, onto the retraining programme well, two and a half years ago now, three years ago. And yeah, just managed to move up to Manchester, got on and qualified within nine months. And then been working two, two years now. Okay, so after you... So... <laughs> yeah. That's that's crazy, man. So you qualified as a so what was the what was the qualification like like a diploma in advanced financial planning, however okay. you want to word it. Yeah. yeah. So. Okay. And then so then after you after you got qualified, 
what was the next step in terms of like doing the wealth management and, and so on? Yeah, so you, you, set, you go by yourself. So you, you work for yourself. So you either go within a practice, which I've done, or you set up a business completely. And I was so young. I was like, well, I want to lay off someone successful within it. I said, I'm self-employed, which I am, which I am now, but to learn the ropes. And COVID hit a month after I started self-employed. <laughs> so and I started the job to, to face people it's face to face wealth management and it was like okay well now I can't see people how am I going to survive so it was a good thing that I went into practice to help support in different ways but yeah that was another challenge mate and that was how you, you get into it and you start just giving advice from that point when you're qualified so I just sort of kept hammering away and focusing on, on working with players which is my niche area because there's, there's no other advisor that's been a professional footballer that's in their 20s. You know, there's guys that are doing it after, after their career's finished. But yeah. I'm the only one that's in the whole country that's in their 20s that's played, you know. So, just so I'm a bit, so I'm clear on this, your kind of, your, what you do specifically, obviously, you do wealth management for, for players, right? But you're still a part of a practice. Yeah, so within, so we advise, we're in like an umbrella scheme. So St. James's Place, wealth management stuff. The overall company with the investment managers etc and we have a business within that and then i'm just advising a part of that to the players to whoever the individuals i work with to to help them grow grow their finances so is it down to you to do the recruiting and get clients like that's all on your back yeah so all, all me yeah so my yeah. i work with my clients and i work with getting everyone in that's that's on me it's my business if you like as it grows, you know, whether I'll be part of the practice or whether I go by completely make buy what a wealth financial or whatever you want to call it in the future, that's on me, yeah. Yeah, cool. So then obviously there's a you've you've had a lot of transitions, man, like mm. professional, going out to the States, then that whole malarkey yeah. in the States, coming back here, working and just trying to work out what you want to do. That obviously there was a period where you mentioned it where your friends are all still playing pro and um that's something I always think about now is like sometimes I'll go watch my mates and sometimes I don't even like watching football because I'm just like, <laughs> I want to I wanna play still. So like, do you, do you ever get those feelings or do you, do you still go watch football? Like, oh, not really. Yeah, I had a two-year spell. Like when I was in the States, I didn't watch anything. Didn't watch anything. And like when I came back, I didn't. But now I don't care. It's gone. Like I'm way past that. I don't care. Like I live with one of my ex-teammates. Uh, Kieran sadly and now he plays at Bolton but I go to a game there tomorrow night I watch other lads play I watch my clients play and I watch it from a thing of just watching it and speaking to people rather than even like I've not once like in the last couple of years had the urge to play even like when I go to them I'm not like oh, I wish it could have been me I know what it's like now I know what things can happen and I think it's just accepting that and read, I read quite a lot of like philosophy like stoicism stuff now as well and it was like you know you can be better or be bitter it's one of the two and I think that's what what I wanted to be and you know I want to help lads because I see the other side of it now that's bottom line you know I'm not just trying to make money out of it yes I get paid off of it yes I'm build, trying to build a business but ultimately I know what it's like when the phone stops ringing and whether it's going to be 29, 35 I know that all that's going to be there is your family to pick up the pieces and what you've got in the bank and where, what direction have you got to give you that platform to go on to the next thing? Because I know that if you've got a strong platform financially, that transition that you have to deal with emotionally, you know, emotionally re-identifying yourself. Trust me, if the finances start becoming hard, 
that's all a lot harder as well. So making sure that lads, whether they've you know, got lads from Premier League clubs down to League Two, and it's similar planning but on different scales of what they're going to do and how much money they're going to make courses, but ultimately want to put them in the best position possible to be better. And then when it ends, you know, you're in a in a good spot. Yeah, and then in terms of like the actual practical things that you do with players and from a financial perspective. I've got a few questions about this. So in turn, the, I guess the first real thing is that I want to know in when you've got lads that are, they're playing professional football, what are some of the things, like let's say you're sitting down with them, you're having a meeting with them, what are some of the things that you are able to offer them? So it's more about the lifestyle planning, you know, and arranging the, the financial plans, investments and retirement planning around them. That's the focus. I specialise in the PFA pension, so I give them advice around the PFA pension. So any of your ex-teammates or people watching it, you know, I specialise in helping them with that and you know, understanding it as well. I think that's key. So just to cut it short, the three bits, it's understanding where they're at now and their career now, what their contract is, where they're going to look at playing, how do they see it progressing, retiring from football and then retiring later on in life. So it's about building a plan around those things. It's flexible to them. That's the focus. And then the budget comes into that. So what you're spending, et cetera, how much are we going to put towards aim one, which is, you know, the next five years, aim two, the end of your football career, and aim three, you know, the third bit. And that's when, when my advice comes in, with how much I think they should, I'll advise them on, you know, different savings plans, investment plans, retirement planning for, the, for those three areas, mate. Yeah, and obviously, I'm 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 assuming, you know, you're you're having lots of calls and trying to not pitch, but trying to get lot a lot of players in, right? When someone turns not turns you down, but says they're not looking to work with you oh, at yeah, the moment, ahead, yeah, yeah, like what what are some of the reasons? Because like, is it that they don't see the value in wealth management at this time? Because you know what sports people are like when it comes to money, they think yeah, it lasts forever. Um, yeah, yeah. So like, what what are some of the things you get? Because like, and I. I like if I was to compare it to like fitness and when I talk mm. to people, you know, I might get guys that say, oh, it's not the right time or my yeah. missus or I, I won't be able to yeah. train. Yeah, you know, like there's always an excuse. So like what, what, what are some of the things that you get? Risk. Okay. They worry about risk. They worry about bad advice they've previously had and lost money. The risk about, I don't need to do it now. That's all right. Oh, that's fine. I'll just look at it another time or in the future, but it's too late then not about timing it's about timing you know it's about how long you're doing it for it's not about just trying to time it because if you're investing and doing for retirement planning if you're trying to time it you've got to time it twice to do well you've got to time it to when you put your money in and then time it again when you take it out but if you're just looking at spending time in the investing you've only got to time it once and that's taking it out and that's a lot easier to do than it is to jump in so that's what i'd say to to people on that front and you know I can go into details you know inflation's a certain where it's at you know tax benefits you know loads of stuff but ultimately you got it's like anything you've got to want to help yourself as well um, but I do feel like I've got that benefit being younger having being my own players that you know they trust me because I'm not going anywhere as well you know I can help advise for the next 30 years and whether they're a footballer or not in 10-15 years I'll still be advising them still be helping them with their pension. I'm not going to be one of the people that's just there for their football career. I'm there for your life. Yeah, um, it's different. It's not like a Exactly. Or coaches. 
I do I care about how their football career goes? Of course I do. Want them to make as much money, want them to progress, but do I care? Not really. Because I know no one's going to care if you've played 150 games for Middlesbrough, 100 games for Peterborough, 50 games for Liverpool. In 15 years' time, no one's going to remember it anyway. So you need to put yourself in the best, the best shoes or you know, no one's going to feel sorry for you when it, when it does you know, come to an end. Yeah. And then to, to continue from my last question then, yeah. What what are some of the mistakes that you what some of the common mistakes you see that sports people are making financially? Overspending. Okay. As a lifestyle goes up, new contract comes in, overspending. That's it. It's purely yeah. it. and not understanding like, like the benefits. It's the lack of education, the lack of people around them to help educate them as well, point them in the right direction. Because I say it as well, you know, there's a lot of agents that like don't want to speak to or they'll because they think of the risk and it's on them and they're, they're worried about that but get a few advisors then speak to a few advisors whether it's me or not I don't I'm a big boy I can deal with the rejection of you fit with a different advisor I've had it loads of times I'm just glad they're getting advice and the, and the right one in the end I will there's a lot of players out there I know I'm going to advise a lot of players over the years to come you know I'm not going to take it personally if it was personal then fair enough but I think at least you're getting the right advice so I'd say I'd say that to answer your question, really. Yeah, and and is that like things like like cars and all the luxury stuff that they don't need? Like, yeah, I think it's just looking at it in a different way. You know, it's like what car do you turn up to the to the training round in? It should be investing pension side because you'll be a lot wealthier in the future if you think that way first before the other Range Rover that you're going to get for your misses and different things like that. Okay, everyone wants nice cars. Of course, they do. Do I want a nice car? Yeah. I want to build them, you know, I'm in an apartment at the minute. So I want to have a big house in the future with, well, I'm single right now, but with your partner or whatever it is. Yeah, of course I do. That's, that's, the, that's the goal and you've got to fit those goals in, but you want to make your, doing that sort of risk adjustment, seeing when that income is going to stop because it is going to stop and the expectations that you're going to earn that again, it's not going to happen unless you do, unless you're very, switched on business-wise or you're a very driven person to go again nine times out of ten the players aren't going to earn anywhere near what they're making now and, and I'm saying the same for like League One players you know that are on you know, maybe 150 grand a year okay you've got to be quite successful at what you do to make that again and chances are once that income stops okay you've got your mortgage payments your car payments now when's that going to run out because it will be in a few years time if you're not careful so helping them understand that and starting as soon as possible is probably the, the main thing for that. Yeah. And but why do you think that there is such, there's a lot of players who they don't know what to do with their money and they don't understand like the long-term side of things. Obviously, there's not enough education, but, but why do you think that is? Like, why do you think that? Because I can remember, I don't think I ever had anybody come in when I was, uh, when I was playing full-time to even talk about financial planning and uh, yeah I think you know there are clubs now that they do it and you know I know it's like sat in there you don't really listen you're not I listening I yeah, yeah. the football and that's why I don't I've not really gone into clubs and gone for that approach because it's more that personal side because I'm not there for the player I'm there for the person and that's why I'm approaching it that way because you stood there you're there for the player at a training hour you're there for the player it's not about the player it's about the person and the money they're making and I think it's one massive thing is living up to the footballer image. 
guys across the divisions that are trying to be like the Prem players because they're ballers or whatever, you know what it's like. Get caught in the bubble, what you got, what you got, like. They can maintain that lifestyle when they're done, when they're on 50 grand a week, 60 grand a week. Because they will be getting advice because their agents will be like, we need to speak to the finance advisor. But the ones that are on four or five grand a week on a two-year contract, okay, it's good money, very good money. But they're trying to be a player that's on a five-year deal at Man City. You know, they're not on that. And I, I see it, the disparity between some of my clients, I'm not going to obviously mention names or anything as well, when I first sat down with them, because some of the guys are on the bigger one, contracts that I've got, that long-term contracts, a lot of money. Um, better with their money than some of the ones that aren't and I think mm. that's because they know they don't need to be anyone they've got that contract they're playing in the team they're very regular and they're not got that they don't need anything else for that ego you know they're, they're, they're who they are they're playing in big games on telly they're playing in this and that and they don't need to waste it you know I feel, feel like that's what I've seen a little bit but you know I'm just here to, to help them in the best way and as, as many as possible and I'd like to think all my clients would say the same. It's been like they're enjoying it. It's helped them, you know, be in a certain position, you know. So I think that's probably one of the one of the issues I've come across with with that. Not issues, just you know, where you can work on, you know. No, that makes sense. And I think it is it's worse now than when we were younger because yeah, we had social media, but it's not like how it was now. Like social no, media now is Yeah, it's not like all the Instagram videos yeah. and all the other stuff. It was a bit of Twitter, wasn't it? Tweet after yeah, game. Twitter, yeah. Everyone, it's like, everyone does the same tweet, good with yeah. the boys, all that sort of stuff. But now yeah. it's just like all these kids I'm seeing like youth team players, they're wearing like Giuseppe's and Gucci and I'm like, bro, like you lot ain't even got a first team appearance yet. Why how are you even how are you even affording this? Because when I was yeah, a scholar Firstly, it's like hundred yeah. pound a week, bro. Like, <laughs> like it's funny. It's funny because I, I think I've seen a, an agent or someone I know tweet something about that. It's like people putting about debuts now in preseason. Yeah, yeah. I played for the first thing in preseason. I didn't know that. Yeah. I wasn't saying it. It's just you played. Like, yeah. Because that's how. I wasn't to make my debut. You didn't make the debut. You didn't have this and that. And like you said, it's social media. It's trying to be a certain way, but. Can you change it? Probably not, you know, but it's about just helping the ones, as many people as you can because I yeah. know it's on the other side of it. I've experienced it at a very young age, whereas a lot won't till their 30s. And I say it to all my clients, I don't, well, before their clients is, I don't want a phone call from you at 32 saying, can you help me out? Because it's yeah. too late, way too late. It's now. And we all put stuff off, mate. I put stuff off, you know, my parents or friends will say oh I didn't do that you, you put stuff off and we do naturally as people we put stuff off you might do some days you put stuff off I'll do it later I'll win and it's about actually going now nah, come on we need to do this now yeah. got to do it now because you'll thank me in 10 years time and that's all I want is the only thing I want from them is to go 10 years time when we're sat here 35 and go, oh, yeah, I'm glad I started that yeah and that's all that'll mean way more to me than making a fee off of it at the start that'll, that's why I'm trying to do it you know so yeah, man. Cool, man. Well, yeah, man. You've uh, thank you, firstly, for joining me, man. Um, yeah, that was an interest, interesting. You got an interesting story, man. And I think a big part of what I do and a big part of the coaching process is is like that mental resilience, right? To just keep going because, and that's yeah. that's life. That's that, I think that's the great thing about sports. It teaches you, it, even though it can be, it can kind of chew chew you up and spit you out. It does yeah. teach you some. Some, some core skills and some core values to just keep going and 
obviously it sounds like you got a good family as well. So they're kind of, you got a good support system. So I've got one, one more question, which might be a difficult one for you, but Go on. if you could give 16 year old Kieran some advice, like one piece of advice, what, what would you say to yourself back then? It's oh, a good question. I'll have to take a minute. <laughs> Go on. We got time. I'd probably say don't get too low and don't get too high. Yeah. That'd, why, that'd be, why that? Just because I feel like I've, I have over the years and I, you know, I do still do at times. Yeah. Um, you know, because your worry today is not your worry next week. It's not your worry six months down the line. You have them, it changes. You know, so I think just stay, trying to stay as neutral as you can. Yeah. And, and that'd probably be the best thing. Yeah. I'd say to myself, like, Cool, man. Don't get too high. Don't get too low, man. Cool. All right, then. And then lastly, before I let you go, where can people find you if they need financial uh, planning, financial advice? Where's the yeah. best place for them to reach out to you? Probably for on the Instagram, to be fair, mate, for people to watch a video like this. So just Kieran Bywater, type my name in. I'm the only Kieran Bywater on Instagram, I think. So <laughs> it's, um, yeah, just find me on there. Be able to see through some of my client testimonials, some of the players I work with. And, and yeah, just drop me a follow and you know that's probably the best way and yeah just have a have a chat from there if it can help cool man out. well I will put your details in the show notes as well so people will be able to find you I don't know what episode this is but the spectrum of health Kieran Bywater thank you for joining me have a good one guys make sure you like share subscribe all that good stuff and yeah peace Thank you for listening to the Spectrum of Health podcast. If you are someone who has been struggling to get in shape, you want to lose some body fat, you want to feel better about yourself and you want to build some lean muscle mass as well as transforming your confidence, don't hesitate to reach out to me on my social media and just ping me a message. I'll get back to you as soon as you can. I really hope you enjoyed the episode. Don't forget to like, share, subscribe and tag me. Okay, tag me. I really appreciate all the support. Watch out for next week's episode. See you later.